but they also have exhaust like you would expect from a turbine engine or a jet engine. And so we had a guy get blown off the flight deck from that walking past the exhaust. He was found. We had a lieutenant from one of the squadrons on my first deployment. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Yeah, so my name is Nate. Um, I joined the Navy in 1999. It was, you know, what they called peacetime. What that really means is that we were bombing people behind the citizens' backs. Um, right. And I served until 2007. I was on active duty for September 11th, 2001. Um, I was on the first carrier battle group to deploy after the Twin Towers fell, after the, the Pentagon was struck. Oh, wow. Um, and then came back, had a, a truncated period of time in the shipyards, and they sent us out as a surge carrier for uh, the kickoff to the Iraq War Two. We'll call oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, I was there on station for shock and awe. Um, I'm a plank owner of the USS Ronald Reagan. I was one of the first crew members. Oh wow. And since I was one of the first crew members and I was a baby sailor, they didn't have anything for us to do. So they were looking for other ships to send me and my shipmates on the Reagan too, to get experience, uh, damage control experience. Cause you know, we are the firefighters out there. Sure. You know, uh, a lot of times Marines will say they're, they're a rifleman first. Well, Navy has a similar bag with damage control. Because you can't call nine one one when you're in the middle of the ocean. Sure. If yeah, you yeah. have a problem on the side of your ship or a fire, you got to take care of that stuff yourself. Um. So I I left the Navy as a E five AT two. I was an aviation electronics technician, so my my rank was AT two, second class AT, uh, air warfare specialist. Um, I should have been medically retired when I. I have a, a condition in my lower legs called compartment syndrome, exertional compartment syndrome. Oh, um, that can be dangerous. Isn't that where you got like cavities in your, it's or something? So, Sorry. I, I, I blew right into you. For sure. to discuss it. Like, you know, when you're cutting through a roast and you get to that really thick silver skin, that really tough flesh, that's hard to cut through. Mm, yeah. Like yeah. On beef road. Uh, that's called fascia tissue. And, that is what keeps your muscles in their individual compartments. Now, through the act of standing and walking and running and uh, carrying things, my compartments would swell beyond the point that uh, the elasticity of the fascia tissue. So my compartments would build pressure and with no relief unless I put my feet up. Mm. They're... It's a condition that I should have been medically retired for, but they were just looking at my inability to run and complete the physical 
fitness test portion. Sure. So um, they handled my discharge improperly, something that I'm still working on now. And let's see. So I got out in 2007 and started going to school. And I met my wife in school uh, 2007, went to a little school called uh, School of Energy. Got a degree. Mm. Uh, we're, we're working towards degrees in being lease operators. So if you have viewers in uh, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Alaska, sure. those, those types of states, um, and North Dakota, they, they would understand it. So some, some places call it a pumper or some call it a lease operator. Some call it a switcher. It just depends on what type of field you're in, what kind of equipment you're working with. But basically those people are responsible for all of the surface equipment on oil and gas wells. So if you're driving through those States, you see the, you know, the, okay. the horse heads pumping jack, yeah, pumping units, uh, pump jacks, whatever you want to call them. Um, I would do maintenance on those. I would do maintenance on, the separators that separated the natural gas from the the wellbore liquids like water, oil, and, and various other things in between. Mm. And schedule to have tanks, um, to sell tanks of oil to various companies that owned. Um, so the, the company that was producing would sell it to a distributor like where I was working was Western refining. They'd come and pull mm. the oil out of the tanks. And then I would, I would also have to schedule like water trucks to come and pull the, the produced water out of the pits. Sure. And pit is just a tank in the ground. Um, pull the water out of the pits and then dispose of it. So I, I did that for a while. I got an education in how the oil and gas industry works. Um, got married and then fast forward in 2018, I got a little bit more politically active, active, um, mainly my wife did and drug me into a kicking and screaming. And it worked out for me getting on full time with a nonprofit that worked on veteran policy. Um, mm. I also got to do some, some work on some state-based, uh, energy policy, which was kind of fun too. And then, um, in 2022, I moved back to my home state of Colorado and uh, discovered that the housing market was really tough there. Oh, yeah. Um, we we kind of bounced around uh, nomadically, just going from long-term Airbnbs, uh, extended hotel stays, sure. whatever we could, whatever we could get into that we could afford. Well, it was more expensive living in Denver, Colorado that way than it would have been in Los Angeles, California at the time because of wow. the the housing shortage in Denver. And sure. so, you know, I mean, I, I officially became a statistic at that point. I'm a homeless veteran. And unfortunately, I have, uh, you know, wife and kid that right. are on this ride with us. And the housing market's really, really tough out there. And the thing that's dri driven me nuts about it is um, there are supposed to be programs out there to help vets, uh, to help sure. homeless vets. Yeah, yeah. And 
we applied for them and couldn't qualify for any of them that, that we had applied for. Huh. If the organization that's running that program to, to help homeless vets and they're getting their funding from the VA, because that's where most of those nonprofits get their, their funding from is from oh, okay. uh, VA granting because the VA gets this huge budget. It's one of the largest budgets in the federal government with like zero accountability. And then they, they make these programs so restrictive and so impossible to use uh, and that you can't qualify for them. And if the organization that you're applying through is their funding is, is tied to the VA, then they have the same guidelines. They can't deviate from those same guidelines. So it's as though you were applying for a VA benefit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, that, yeah. Whoever, whoever pays the piper calls the tune, but that's, that right. uh, seems, uh, counterproductive to the stated goal you know <laughs> it's like well, why are you here if you like can't help actual vets <laughs> well they say they want to help at-risk vets to me an at-risk vet is somebody that has managed to not sleep on the streets and oh uh, but sure. it but it you know there's there's a lot of at-risk vets that you know could be months behind on their mortgage um maybe the way the world responded to COVID um, killed their, their income or, you know, put them behind on their mortgage. Sure. A hundred percent. A lot of different at risk types of vets. And it's, it's almost impossible to qualify for help from these programs. Now, if, if your viewers, uh, if they have any, any connections to any organizations that help, homeless or at risk vets, you know, let us know in the comments, um, and, and shout those organizations out because they're the ones that are standing out and, and are, are truly going to help. Um, mm. I'm not sure who, who gets access to these other, these other organizations funds that are tied to the VA because, uh, I've, I'm as homeless as you can be without actually having slept on the streets. Um, right. Right. And it, and if I do that, in my case, I have, uh, you know, breathing equipment that I have to sleep with. Otherwise, I can't make it through the night. Right. So if I if I sleep on the streets, I'm literally dead. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And fortunately, I've, I've had enough. Uh, we've had enough family and friends that that have allowed us to, you know, stay with them um, since I lost my job last year, which made it even tougher. Sure. Uh, Anyway, we've had some really, really gracious friends and family that have, have helped us out along the way. That being said, it's not like a permanent thing that we could do. So that's why I was saying if you have any, uh, any viewers that have a, a line on organizations that help at-risk vets or homeless vets, you know, let us know in the comments and, and shout those, those organizations up because they're the ones that are doing the real work. Yeah. Well, and especially, uh, like you're saying, if, they're, if their funds come from a different source – they're going to have different yeah. incentives for sure. May, they might uh, might be more difficult to work with, but it's also possible they'd be easier to work with, you know, just because, you know, like you say, um, uh, different different people are paying for it. So they, they might be willing to actually get some results instead of just fund the bureaucracy, you know. For sure. <clears throat> for sure. Hmm. 
Okay, so what? Uh, let's see. That was that was a big chunk. What was it like? And I, you probably get asked this all the time, I'm sure. But what was it like to be in the military when 9/11 happened? Were you were you you weren't out? Were you deployed or uh, not deployed? Uh, what's it on a cruise? I think is that what the Navy calls it. Uh, we call it deployment Depl- or okay. a cruise. Okay, it, it just depends. So, like I said, I was on the USS Ronald Reagan. The day I checked into that ship on board that ship was the day after they'd put the superstructure on the flight deck, uh, the, the oh, Island. Yeah. Yeah. Where the okay. air traffic controllers are, where the radar is and all that, the shipboard radars. Um, so it was still under construction, very much under construction. And so sure. they were looking for places to put all these baby sailors that really didn't know what it was like to be a sailor in, in the today's Navy at the time. Right. And, um, so they started finding ships, company billets or, you know, uh, positions that were open that they needed to fill for these upcoming deployments. And we, I was in a pre-deployment brief there. Some of the senior, uh, NCOs were letting us know what to expect and what we should be, uh, working towards while we're away. And, Mm. and my chief, uh, he ran up the stairs and said a plane had struck the world trade center and he was the type that would pull your chain any chance he got. So we thought he was just bullshitting us. And yeah, you know, there's this motherfucker here. He goes again. And then we get reports of another plane hitting second tower of Pentagon. Right. And so we ran downstairs or yeah, it was Pentagon. We ran downstairs just in time to see the second plane hit the second tower. Oh, wow. And we were glued to the TV until both of them fell, went back upstairs and finished our, our brief and the mood changed. Everything was just completely different at that point. Oh yeah. Um, We went from getting ready to, you know, what to expect on this, on this deployment to shit's real now. And so we started putting up barricades around, the barracks that that we were in, which was a high school, it used to be Warwick High School in Newport News, Virginia. Mm. They um, that Newport News, Virginia is where they build all of the nuclear aircraft carriers. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a couple of blocks away from the shipyard is this old, rundown, dilapidated uh, high school that they converted into a barracks for the sailors that that were there on ships that were being built or in the yards being overhauled. Sure. Sure. In between deployments. Uh, So we started putting up barriers in case there was, you know, vehicle attacks on, on the the barracks because we weren't inside of a, a military base. We were occupying various buildings that we were renting. We being the Navy were renting from the building and it uh, it's hard to describe the way the the mood, the air, everything changed when that happened. It's it just it changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just recently thinking about that. Like we remember, right? But this is well, actually, it's, now it's twenty twenty four, right? That was twenty two plus years ago. Right. There's adults 
who who weren't even born, let alone remember. That's wild, dude. But to us, it's when you like you're saying when you think back, it's clear as day, like how things change so rapidly. How just everybody's the we look back and some of the stuff it's like, well, that was crazy, you know. But people were just reacting, especially in the first several days. The crazy thing to me, the craziest mm-hmm. thing to me. Is that okay? Two things. I served in two wars now that were both old enough to legally buy alcohol by the time they were declared over, and one of them is still going on in Iraq. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I I really don't care about it. I care a lot about American politics, but not the way that it's fed to us because it's all just bullshit. Right. Right. <laughs> But, uh, the, so the Vic Ramaswamy, you know, I don't endorse him as a candidate. He's got some things that I like, and I like the way that he's courageously speaking on things like Saudi Arabia's involvement in nine 11 and Mm. our government's covering it up for 20 years. Sure. Um, where was I going with this? And then in, uh, the war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. should have been wrapped up by Christmas of 2001. It, right. it was a three month campaign at best. Right. Colin Powell and Dick Cheney convinced uh, Bush, who had run on no nation building, you know, he looked like not the warmonger that he turned out to be in his campaigning. Right. And he, so (laughs) Donald Rumsfeld was the, the former secretary of defense and in a room with him, George Bush, Dick Cheney and Colin Powell, he was the one that was saying, let's not get involved in nation building. Let's get out of here as quickly as we can. Mm. Donald Rumsfeld was the dove in that situation. And um, he, I guess, was outvoted. And nation building in Afghanistan is is what we started doing. And, hmm. you know, it wasn't really a good thing for Afghanistan for those 20 plus years that we were occupying it. It really wasn't good for my brothers and sisters that, you know, some of them sacrificed everything up to their lives for. Hmm. And there's just, there's no accountability for it. We find out that we have so-called allies that were uh, had some kind of involvement in it. We find out that our our government covered that up. We find out that um, they lied us into war in Iraq. They claimed that they had weapons of mass destruction. They lied to the American people. They lied to Congress. They lied to the UN. They they used doctored tapes and things like that um, to to convince these these various bodies that it, that we should be going to war sure. in Iraq, and it was all a sham. So hmm. I probably sound like some wild conspiracy nut job. <laughs> It, um, yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. 
<laughs> if if nothing else, uh, it's making the listener shake their fist at at their speaker uh, and and rant. Hopefully, yeah. If Maybe if you they're... love what I say, let me know. If you agree, let me know. If you disagree, especially, let me know. And if you hate what I'm saying, tell me why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Tell uh, me why I'm. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah. And if for nothing else, because you, you want to be, you want to improve yourself. You know, if I have a position where I'm literally wrong, I'd love to be not in like a, Oh, please prove me wrong. Go ahead and try just in like a, um, I, I want to have the right position. So if, if mm-hmm. please, if I'm wrong, let me know and I will, I'll fix it. You know? So, so I, I bring a lot of that up because they used these, these wars to ram, legislation down our throats that robbed us and our, our children of, you know, their, their birthright of Liberty. And Mm, sure. They, they use it to pass the Patriot act and then to continue. um, It's got a sunset and they, they vote to, to continue it every so often. Oh, right. They being Congress and they don't let it die. What's that? I think is it ten years or something like that? I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I don't remember the the time frame, but I know that every time that it's come up to be extended, it it gets extended in, in a nonpartisan though, effort, of course. <laughs> I think it was George Carlin that said, "If it's bipartisan, they're probably screwing you even harder." Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and he's not wrong. <laughs> right. It's everybody's lining up for the graft at that point. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, that, that to bring up the fact that, um, the Patriot Act is still alive and well, and it was actually a, an anti-crime bill that was written by now president Joe Biden back in the nineties. And he couldn't get traction on it as an, a tough on crime bill. Mm. So they, they took advantage of the, the crisis that was at hand and, and, um, I don't know. I don't feel like the world is in a better place because of these wars. And I don't feel like the ones they're trying to drag us into now or have drug us into Ukraine and, and Israel are going to be any different. It's, it's the same type of graft and the same type of corruption. Mm, um, yeah on warp speed because it doesn't matter what's said about it, who, who comes out against it. It's, um, genocide is justified and an apartheid state is allowed to thrive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. And they're, they're playing on people's, they're playing on people's emotions. Um, there's a lot of, very, very religious people in the U.S., uh, Christians who who view the the nation state of Israel as it sits today in the same light as the geographic region or kingdom from the biblical era, and there's just they're not the same thing. Sure, it's just it's the the propaganda that's used today to justify their actions where they want to mass murder people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it, it, it's kind of funny on a on a podcast about uh, veterans and military and uh, the goal of which is to kill. It, and but I agree with you. Uh, it's it's always sorrowful to hear about uh, killing. You know, I was just thinking about it the other day. Even it's possible to um, regret a death, even if it's an evil person. You know what I mean? You, of course, you can be glad that justice was done, but even if it's an evil person, you should still be regretful and sorrowful that that person died. You know, at least that's, again, that's my position. If I'm wrong, let me know. But uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think at the, very, at the very least, these people that are sending our, our friends, our brothers and sisters, our relatives, sons and daughters, the ones that are sending them over there to die, should at least be honest about their interests and in, in what's going on there. Sure. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But you, okay. So you, you joined before nine 11. So it, as, as we, as we were just mentioning, you know, after nine 11, there was, there was all the changes that happened. Um, and just the, I think like they were, uh, the recruiting stations were turning people away because they were they were so they had so many people coming what but you were before all that what was your what was your motivation what was the what was the plan there what was your uh uh i i grew up in a really small town in colorado and the college admissions game was one that i didn't know how to figure out at the time sure yep there wasn't a lot of opportunities for work in this. This was back at the end of the nineties. Uh, I graduated in 1999 and there just wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for a person to uh, eke out a living in my hometown. Mm. And I, I know my cousin, what I remembered that my cousin had joined the Navy and was for all intents and purposes, the, the most successful member of my, you know, not necessarily immediate family, but family in close proximity, people that I grew up with and knew well. Sure. Um, whenever he got out of the Navy, he went to work for Lockheed Martin and was making six figures. And I thought, well, I mean, if he could do that, right. that's, that's an escape from this small town life that, I don't want to get bogged down in. Um, so I thought I'd go out and try to replicate it myself. I looked for a rate uh, in in the Army and Marine Corps. They call it an MOS. And in the Navy, um, it's a rate or right. rating. And the so I was looking at ratings that were going to, that I thought were going to translate well for um sure civilian one sec oh yeah yeah whenever i got out whenever i went to work as a civilian i thought what's going to transfer easiest what what should i be able to uh find a good paying job without a whole lot of extra school or training or anything after the fact and so I chose aviation electronics 
And it wasn't as lucrative after the fact as I thought. Everybody wanted a degree anyway. And, um, but anyway, that was, that was why I had joined was to escape, you know, small town hell. And it was one of the escape path, uh, paths that I had seen used, uh, by a family member. Sure. And so that, that was initially what, what got me to join. Um, I have a, a lot of a really deep history of service in my family. My, my grandpa was on the Missouri, the USS Missouri, when they signed the peace treaty with Japan. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I had two, an uncle on both sides, my mom and dad's side of the family, uh, who each served in the Navy, one on P3 Orion's, which oh, yeah. was a submarine, uh, a submarine hunting aircraft platform that could stay in the air for what seemed like days. Yeah. It's got the big without... mad, mad stinger out the tail. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, my other uncle, he was just in trouble all the time and always on extra duty, having to paint blast fences. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's he he was quite the fuck up. And then, uh, like I said, my cousin had had joined the Navy and was really successful afterwards. Um, and I thought it, I might be able to carve out a similar path for myself. Sure, but I. It didn't work out the same for me. Well, and that's really unusual for for someone of that age to be thinking that far ahead. <laughs> you know, normally they're like, uh, I want to shoot a gun or, you know, maybe not that base level, but just they're not necessarily thinking about how this is going to translate to civilian life or something. That's, right. Yeah. My wife joined the Army. Um, a few years after high school with very similar uh, ambitions. Like, mm. what can I do now that will translate well for me to be able to provide for my kids whenever I'm done with this? Sure. And um, hers wouldn't have panned out as well as she had planned out initially either. But mm. Okay. <laughs> Sure. So yeah, that, that was why I joined. I, I didn't, I joined during peacetime and it didn't last for very long. Hmm. Yeah. So what was your goal to, um, make, cause you were in for what? Eight years? Is it my math? Seven. Right? Seven? Okay. Seven. seven. December okay. 99 to April 07. Gotcha. Okay. You're, mm. So was your plan at some point to make a career out of it? or No. Okay. It, it was never my plan to make a career out of it. Uh, when my first enlistment had come up, I had a truck loan that I still owed money on and hadn't found a job yet, so I re-enlisted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that I've heard that 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 happens often or sometimes uh, guys will will leave the military and then realize that they they hadn't, um, you know, I'm in a spot and they're like, well, the easiest thing is to go back to the military. So that that happens, you know. Yeah, I've got a a friend who uh, he was. He was recon Marine Corps. He was a Mm. Marine 
Marine Recon, Second Recon, uh, Sniper trained. He got out and then went back in, or he got out, went to school, uh, got his bachelor's degree, and went back in as an intelligence officer. Oh, and okay. then he got out again and went back in as a contractor. <laughs> he had the whole experience. <laughs> he did. He's seen he's seen it from about every angle that you could. Right. Well, that's yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Huh. There's a lot of that that happens, but I mean, it happens in the civilian world too. You you are working for this employer that hates you, that you can't stand, but you know they pay the bills and you have a lot of them. So you stay there. Sure. Yeah, that's true. I think the military does a really good job of training that into us. Um, Well, look how terrible this is. You can put up with anything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You can put up with misery. So I I know a lot of, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of people that have stayed in jobs, myself included, that, you know, we wish we, Sure. had the courage to leave sooner. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But taking that step is like, uh, do I have another job? <laughs> You're like, well, this, maybe this isn't so bad, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It, so, some people are just wired to put up with as much misery as there is until they're essentially forced out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So what was, uh, so you, you were a plank owner and you were saying that when you were first there, they were kind of like not exactly sure, or you didn't, you didn't necessarily have like a consistent job because your ship was still being built. What, what was right. that? How did that change? Um, let's see, what am I trying to say? Um, so you went on the, um, I forget what the, the first cruise, the, the check cruise kind of thing, right? As a plank owner. Um, what's it called when they launched the ship? Isn't there a term for it? Um, so there, there's two things. They do their christening, and that's when the ship yeah. gets her name. Okay. And they break the champagne over the side right. or the bow. And the second is the commissioning, where it becomes a United States ship. Okay. Okay. Um, and But the first time it goes out in the ocean, uh, is there a term for that? Or am I just imagining? I might be mixing things up. <clears throat> but anyway. Oh, I, I think I know the, the term you're looking for. It's uh, it's not like inaugural. a check cruise. Yeah, something like that. Like, you know, signifies like this is the first time we're doing this kind of thing. So you were on that, basically, as, as yeah, a new they do, sailor. Oh, they do, they do qual, qual, sea quals, okay. make sure that it's seaworthy. And then they start checking various systems and figure out what they have to come back and uh, fix. Sure, sure. This was... <laughs> This was also the my first experience around um, union workers at the shipyard. Oh, right, right. And boy, they painted a picture that I saw in reality what stereotypes had been painted for me. And I'm sure that this doesn't uh, apply to every single union worker out there, but man, they they protected really bad employees and they rewarded laziness. Mm. I saw this one, this one worker come into my shop and sit on, turn a five gallon paint bucket upside down, sit his fat ass down on, down on it, 
get one of those uh, small Folgers coffee cans, halfway full of paint, a paintbrush with uh, a two inch head on it and about a two and a half or three foot long handle. And you would just sit there for over a week painting one door. And then, oh wow! Then it gets gets to delivery time, and because they don't have it done, they have to renegotiate the contracts, and then they get more money. Right. Like I said, they reward they rewarded the the bad uh, bad working environment, and but it, it's the wow. game that they play. They sure they they do it to renegotiate their contracts, get even more money. So. At the time, it was I think four billion dollars was the price tag for a nuclear aircraft carrier when wow. when I was there. Good. Grief. And I think by the end of it, it was close to eight billion dollars for the one carrier. After all the overtime was approved, and you know the, the contracts are renegotiated. Right. And, um. Then whenever they they bring it out and it and everything works that final bill is a lot bigger than the values that are, are uh, reported on. Right. Right. Wow. With the, the newest class, the Jerry Ford, I think is the new class and they're even more expensive, like 12 billion base. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sticker price. <laughs> Good grief. That really? is wild. Huh. So what? Uh, but you, you, so you did deploy, correct? I did. Uh, I deployed twice. Uh, once, September nineteenth, two thousand one. So yeah, eight days after the buildings collapsed. Yeah, and, uh, you know, eight days after nine eleven, and then I I deployed again in two thousand three for uh, Iraq, the kickoff of Iraq War. Sure. Two. Sure. Wow. Yeah, that'd be, was, was there a different, um, between the two deployments, was there a different, uh, uh, like a feeling in the air? I, I can't think of the word right now, but just a, like, um, I, my impression would be in September of 2001, there'd be, like you were saying, a really heightened sense of purpose. Like, we are literally here for a reason. Had that kind of died down by 03, or was it still pretty um, ratcheted up? In oh three, so in my first deployment in oh one oh two, yeah, lasted more than six months. We spent five months consecutive, one hundred fifty nine days consecutive at sea without hitting a port, which was a wow. record at the time. Yeah, and it was because we couldn't find a safe port to pull into where the threat assessment was low enough. Sure. Um, We hit two ports on that entire deployment and wow. and then came home. On my second deployment, I was out for a little over three months, or I think it was it was just under four months, and we hit four ports mm. on my second deployment. Right. So right. that's how much different everything was sure yeah over six months two ports and a record 
and then less than four months and four ports. Right. Yeah, that that'd be yeah. significant. <laughs> Quite a bit different. Wow. The uh Yeah. Yeah, and that's so uh, the listener probably knows this, but like a carrier battle group is um not only a lot of money on the water, but it's a lot of people, you know. So for for it to be out that long um is quite a commitment. <laughs> I mean And it it's more than just one ship too. Uh, the battle group is nine ships, 11 ships. I can't even remember at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got the carrier, you got, um, some, some air defense, uh, destroyers or frigates or something. You've got, I know you got probably a submarine or yeah. two. You got, got destroyers, cruisers, frigates, submarines, yeah. and aircraft carrier. Yeah. And then supply ships too. You know, supply ships are, you're eating, you know, and, and flying planes. You need, you need supplies. Yeah. yeah. They, they fly, they fly supplies aboard, but the, the big way that they get them without pulling into port is they pull a ship alongside and then they just basically zip line it across the ocean to you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be, uh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, it was re- the first time you see it, it's really cool. And like the 15th time you see it, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Cause you're, they, you'd have to be pretty close, right? The two ships and they're especially the carrier um those are big ships <laughs> yes very <laughs> you, yeah that'd be so okay well the the aircraft carrier is pretty tall do they zip line it onto the deck or do they is there a the, lower port or something the usns ships the supply ships that they use to mm-hmm. to do the underway replenishments like that are also very large ships. Oh, okay. Okay. So they have the height to, to get it. They do. Gotcha. They do. They, they go from their deck to the hangar bay below the flight deck on the aircraft carrier. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And at the same time they have, they have helicopters flying, uh, flying shit from one ship to the other sure as well sure okay huh that'd yeah. Be, yeah that'd be quite the I, I just to think about the think about the um everything that's going on is wild like it's not just like carrying supplies from one point to another there's so many different moving parts yeah but yeah huh so what um yeah and then and then you uh you didn't, did you stay on the Reagan the whole time or after, after your O three deployment, where, did you go elsewhere? Um, so I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois, which is where everybody goes to Navy boot camp after they closed down San Diego and, and Orlando. Uh, okay. From there, I went to Naval Air Station, Pensacola for training and that's, where I went through my A school and became an aviation electronics technician. Gotcha. Then I transferred to my first permanent duty station was the Reagan. And they sent me temporary duty twice to the USS Theodore Roosevelt for one for each deployment. Okay. 
then I got back from that, re-enlisted, and transferred to shore duty at Naval Air Station, Lemoore, California. Let me tell you, gotcha. there's not a more beautiful place on the planet than Lemoore, California. Really? I'm, no, there's wow. like lots of places that are more beautiful than Lemoore, oh, California. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't picking up the sarcasm dripping off that statement. <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's like dripping or it's like driving through Mississippi, but with a small mountain range to the west of you and a tall mountain range to the east of you. Mm, right. It looks like driving through Miss the state of Mississippi. Just farmland. Sure. Um as far as the eye can see. It's hot. There's just it's not a very friendly place. Right. <laughs> Oh man! Wow, it is ugly. It's it's about halfway in between Fresno, California, and Bakersfield, California. Oh, okay, okay. Or about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Math works out about the same. Okay. Um. So when you when you were given TDY to the Roosevelt, did you did they fly you off the ship, off the Reagan on the Greyhound, or were you in port at the time? The first time I walked on board the Theodore Roosevelt okay. from the, the pier, ah, because she was still moored um, at Nob Norfolk, Virginia. So I. I walked on board there and then for my first deployment and on my second and, and walked off the ship um, mm, as well. Okay. And then for my second deployment, I flew from Virginia to Florida. We picked some folks up in Jacksonville, Florida, and then flew from Jacksonville, Florida to uh, Gitmo, Cuba and mm. dropped some people off there, loaded some folks up and then, flew out to uh, Roosevelt Roads Naval Weapons Station or or Naval Air Station, Roosevelt Roads in Puerto Rico. And then in Puerto Rico, I stayed two nights there and then flew out and landed on the carrier, on the, the Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. So, so you, that was really cool. You've had a trapped landing. Was that was that quite the experience? or I, I would think it would be, um, but I guess you, you maybe you didn't see outside or anything. Might oh, I could see outside. Okay. And it's just a really uncomfortable seat with a really uncomfortable uh, harness or seatbelt. And they also carry mail in the same general space. Okay. It, it's like, um, like when a roller coaster comes to a stop. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like on, on a, a less plane landing, <laughs> a, yeah, a plane landing with a roller coaster coming to a stop in a very uncomfortable chair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, uh, oh man, I cannot word today. Um, the um, enjoyment has perhaps been overstated <laughs> by some. <laughs> Not For the enjoyment. Sure. Uh, Anyways, yeah, I'm retarded. Um, the luxury, the sure. luxury is yeah, just, uh, not be overstated. 
for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they pull out all the stops. Huh. Did did you launch off or did did it come into port before you got off? Yeah, I never I never got to take a catapult launch off an aircraft carrier. Okay. It'd probably be pretty much the same thing in reverse. <laughs> Instead of stopping no. quick, you're starting quick. Yes, to an extent. Uh, how much they slow you down and how quickly they slow you down is not the same rate that they launch you off with. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the to launch on an aircraft carrier or off of an aircraft carrier on the catapults, but it's faster than the fastest roller coaster launch you've ever experienced. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, huh? Where are you located? I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Do they have any? Uh, good roller coaster amusement parks? Uh, not not really. Not that not that I'm aware of, at least. But um, mm. I've been on a couple roller coasters, but not any of okay. the record setters or you know any of the big amusement parks, just like state fairs or whatever. Um, but I can't remember. It was one of the Six Flags locations or Kings Dominion in Virginia. Okay, which was is or was a Paramount amusement park. They had some some roller coasters that were launched very similarly. I remember the Superman was, I think, supposed to be the world's fastest roller coaster, and it just launched you straight out and then straight up. And then oh back wow! Down. <laughs> oh, that, that and one might just up and down. Yeah, oh. and then there was another one that I remember specifically was at Kings Dominion in Virginia. It was called the volcano and it had a really fast launch, but I don't think it was quite as fast. Sure. Sure. Huh? Yeah. And then you have, uh, pilots who are doing that on the reg, you know, not just, not just, uh, a seaman who's headed, you know, his wife's having a baby or something. So he gets leave. They're doing it two, three times a day. Maybe if they're doing regular flight ops and it's like, that's gotta be hard on your body. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but it sure seems like it. It seems like it would be to me too. I don't know. I I can barely sit on the floor anymore nowadays without it seeming like it's going to take a trip to the hospital. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just think about sleeping on the floor and it's like an ICU visit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that. So, so yeah, I couldn't imagine. Go ahead. I couldn't imagine the, the daily beating. You'd have to take really good care of yourself. If you wanted to be a pilot, an aviator, a naval aviator for long sure. term. Sure. Yeah. No kidding. I think, I mean, of course, everybody likes to say that they're, they do the toughest thing around, but I think it's pretty generally recognized that naval aviators have the, have the hardest uh, flying job, you know? Maybe I had a, I had a supervisor. I worked for a jail once upon a time. Um, don't judge me. It was during a really bad economic downturn. <laughs> uh, anyway, my supervisor was retired army. He was a warrant officer and was a test, a helicopter test pilot. So mm. testing oh, wow. the things that they're, they're not sure if they fly yet. I think that might be a little worse, but <laughs> that's, I think that's a solid aviator, point. 
I think naval aviators in general have have it tougher than most. Right. Yeah. That. Uh, here's a helicopter. Um, it should fly, <laughs> and we want you to verify that. <laughs> the launch, the the frequent launching, and and arrests though. That's that's not even as extreme as the some of the forces that they see when they're in the sky. Sure. That for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. You get, but there is something different about landing on a postage stamp in the middle of the ocean, as opposed to a long ass runway. (laughs) Right. First finding it. And then like, yeah, then landing on it. Yeah, for sure. uh, Over land, worst case scenario, you could probably find a road and follow it. But if you're out in the ocean, you can't really uh, ask for directions from the from the Let's, surface of the sea. It's almost like they're setting you up for failure. Oh man, I um, occasionally I watch this guy on YouTube, Casual Geographic. He, uh, young black kid, hilarious and brilliant. Whenever he does uh, descriptions of of animals and their personalities and what you know what they do, he was talking about um, his Steve Irwin's biggest fear was of parrots. And he was talking about his own, which was of uh, um, pigeons. Huh. And back in the early 1900s, the Navy was using pigeons for search and rescue operations. And they had something like a 90% accuracy. Wow. And then that program got cut due to costs. But I can't imagine the manpower of flying a helicopter and, you know, searching for them with with human eyes that way. Mm. And there's something like 60% accurate, I believe. But yeah, that, that program got cut due to costs. And it was almost um, almost guaranteed to find whoever went overboard every time. How would that work with, with a pigeon? Um, the same way that they they train them to uh, to be carrier pigeons oh, okay. or homing pigeons. You know, they they they're they're one of the smartest birds, huh? Believe it or not. Um. I learned a lot about them during that video and I can't regurgitate it well enough to do it justice, but sure. Uh, they're worth looking into. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, if, if I fell off uh, a ship, I would take anybody who could find me. <laughs> I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be eager to be found, <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. 90%. That's so we had, good. we had one person get knocked off. Um, for the, the turbine engines, which is any fighter jet, right, has turbine engines mm-hmm. with afterburners. And in order to get those started, they'll use, uh, I think they called it a hopper. Anyway, it's a smaller turbine engine that they pull up next to the aircraft sure. with a, a flight deck tractor. And then they use those to, to get the the turbine engine spinning uh, when they're starting them up. Sure. But they also have exhaust like you would expect from a turbine engine or jet engine. 
And so oh. we had a guy get blown off the flight deck from that walking past the exhaust. He was found. We had a lieutenant from one of the squadrons on my first deployment who got caught fucking one of his airmen and was going to have to explain everything to his wife and go to Admiral's mast and, and all that. He jumped off near Egypt and was found in the Suez Canal dead a couple of days later. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So not very good at finding um, people overboard hmm. <laughs> with our current methods. Oh, and they they give you this dye that's supposed to help you stand out in the water and make you more visible. Yeah. And it attracts sharks. Oh, really? It does. Oh. So they, they give you this stuff to, to help you be found by humans that attracts sharks. Right. It's like, where's Ashton Kutcher, Justin Bieber? Like, am I, <laughs> right. am I being punked here? Or? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that uh, <laughs> seems a little uh, cross purposes there. For real. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, and that's quite a, like, if he, I don't know if he was on the flight deck or the uh, the hangar bay, the, the fellow that got knocked off with the. the he was on the flight cost. deck. Okay. That's, that's, that's quite that's a way. foot drop. That's it's a what? I'm sorry. A 90 foot drop. It's oh. over 90 feet from flight deck to waterline. Wow. That's a long ways. I mean, I, it's, it's, um, success to survive the fall. I would think, let alone, <laughs> let alone be found. That's. It is. Hmm. I haven't touched my phone in long enough. So it, it, uh, tried to lock on me. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> huh. Yeah, um Yeah, so so you kind of touched on it, but you, so you got out. What was the transition like? Were, was it um different than you expected? Were that what were the challenges uh etc.? So, I expected I expected to have a medical review board because I had a medical condition that prevented me from being able to pass the physical readiness. Test. Right. Right. Instead, they just got rid of me because they were down downsizing the fleet at that time. Uh, and so they were looking for any reason that they, they could find to get rid of people. And sure. so they, they looked at my inability to pass the PRT um, as that reason instead of, convening the review board that would have said, Oh yeah, he's got a medical condition that's preventing him from doing this. He should be medically retired. Gotcha. I see so, what you're saying. Uh, that's, that's another process that I'm, I'm working towards today. Um, I actually, I mean, I'm sure it was just a clickbait ad to try to get people to, uh, utilize their, their business or company. But, um, I think it was a law firm, an ad for a law firm, but it read like an article of a female sailor who had been, who had received a medical review board and had been medically retired uh, the year, a year before I was discharged for essentially the same thing. Sure. Um, she had exertional compartment syndrome in her legs and uh, they, 
that disqualified her from shipboard um, service. Sure. Somehow. And so she was stationed on the ground in Iraq. They started getting shelled or rocketed. And so they all ran for cover. And I think she was uh, a corpsman, which is Navy medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were when they ran for cover. It caused her compartment syndrome to flare, and they had to fly her to Germany. Um, oh wow! Because of the the swelling in her lower legs, and and then they they convened the review boards and and medically retired her. So I was expecting something like that, and instead mm-hmm. um, I was treated like. Uh, Well, they they got rid of me for PRT failures, right? So they right. I got an honorable. I received an honorable discharge, and but they treated it as a discharge from PRT failures instead of a medical condition that led to those that right. other people had received um, medical retirements for. So, right, they were they were and then they were able to treat it as just an administrative decision. As opposed right. to something that gave them li- that uh, gave them liability for you or uh, um, right, yeah, responsibility, I guess, yeah, yeah. Huh. And the transition process was like they had uh, they have these classes transition assistance program, and when I was in, it was like a job fair of a bunch of companies that I had no desire to ever even consider working for like the LAPD or the LA County Sheriff's department. And they, there, there was a lot better use of that time. They, in, in my opinion, and they may have made some, some changes uh, since then, you know, maybe your viewers can let us know folks that have gone through Mm. the transition a little bit more recently, what sure. the, the process is like. Um, they barely spent any time on the importance of uh, filing VA claims. Um, oh, right. Every, every single, every single person that serves, no matter how long you served, regardless of uh, whether you retired or, or not, make sure that you get your, your VA stuff squared away before your discharge date is done. It's possible. And it's way better to do it that way. Right. Right. Honestly. So they didn't spend very much time just, uh, you know, make sure that you copy your, your service record, your medical records. And, uh, so that it's ready for a VSO whenever you get out. Hmm. Thanks. Well, it's, it, why aren't we using these days that we're here together with VSOs right. figuring this shit out? Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if nothing else, you're you're being paid to do it, and you're you're offices away from the person you need to talk to. Whereas if you, yeah. if you don't file, if you file later, you're doing it on your own time, and then also the the difficulty of contacting those people is increased. I would imagine, you know. Yeah. 
Well, that that's part of the game, though. They they get people to self. Um, oh, what's it called? They get people to to basically sort themselves out before they oh. they finish the process. Sure, sure. That it's by design. It has to be get people to quit before they finish. Right. Make it make it really confusing. So you need uh, you almost need experts to help you walk it through. And then the experts that you run into, most of them don't really know what they're doing. They, they'll pile as many conditions onto one VA claim as they possibly can, instead of identifying what's, what's the highest value targets that, that they should be going after and moving through those first. Oh, right. Instead they, instead, they look at it like a cop trying to, to charge somebody with a crime. They just keep adding charges on, seeing what's going to stick and what's not. You have to remember that it's a federal government employee on the other end of this. Right. right. <laughs> the more work you're asking them to do at one time, the less likely it's going to get done or done right. Mm, and sure. I have I have, some, I have people that... I know that I served with my, I have a brother that works as a Raider for the VA. And he said, most of the time, whoever gets that first is just immediately going to kick it back and say that there was something wrong, whether there is or not, they're just not going to go through that much work. Sure. Because they're looking at, at five or six or 10 claims as opposed to one. Yeah. They're looking at five or six or eight or 10 conditions on one claim. Oh, okay. And they yeah. have a backlog of right. hundreds of thousands of them to get through. Right. So go after, it's really easy to figure out which ones are going to pay out the most. They have it all printed out in the 38 CFR, which is the the Bible for, for VA compensation and pension and what percentage or what conditions get what percent and what the the symptoms for those conditions for that percentage are. So like if you have a mental health condition, PTSD, depression, anxiety, it doesn't matter. You get one, it's the same as any of the others. And how I think, how it's, uh, how how debilitating they are determines what the payout is on them. Okay, sure. Yeah, because you hear people having like a 10% disability or 100% or 40%. And that's kind of what you're referring to? Yeah, on mental health right now, it's 0%, 30%, or 70%, or 100%. Okay, sure. Hmm. So... Any and the, the average that people get for that is seventy percent. But okay. anything that can get you at a hundred percent that you would qualify for, you want to make that your first claim. If it's something that the highest you can get is seventy percent, make that your first claim. I see what you're saying. And limit it to no more than two. And honestly, you should be you should be doing them one at a time as they work through them and sure. doing, you know, they have a process now it's called uh, fully developed, fully developed claims. 
And by submitting a fully developed claim, it means exactly the, what I was, the advice I was giving before. Sure. It means that you're doing their job for them. Right. You're going right. to do as much of their job as you possibly can. You're going to gather all of the medical evidence. You're going to show them the symptoms. You're, you're going to put all of it, all the information in one ni nicely wrapped up little spot where they can go through it like the NPCs that they, that most of them are and send it on to the next person who's going to assign how many, what percentage you get for it. Right. Right. That makes sense. So the more of their job you do for them, the easier it makes their job and the more likely it is that you're going to get yours through. And if they have to do that for three, four, five, six, eight, twelve conditions, they're just not going to. Right. Yeah. I see so what if, you're if they get, if your, your viewers have struggled with the VA, this could be one of the reasons why it's been my experience whenever I use, you know, the, the county VSOs and most organizations that do it, like the American Legion or the um, VFW Disabled American Vets. I've had all of them. I've had all of them try to submit it that way where it's, um, dog is <laughs> my dog is uh my daughter's dog is being no noisy he's cute though oh yeah <laughs> yep so um most vsos and i've had i've had three of them including a, a state you know state of Various states have their own state-based uh, VSOs. Oh, they okay. usually work out of county offices. Sure. I've had those guys not know what they were doing and do it that way too, where they, they throw as many charges onto it as they possibly can just to see what's going to stick and what doesn't. Right. And find what's going to pay out the most or the two things that are going to pay out the most and submit those. Sure. Every focus, time. focus your energies on that. Yes. Sure. Secondary conditions, all that. Hmm. Well, okay, we're we're kind of into the portion where I can ask the question that I that I uh, try to ask of everybody, and that is, what would your advice be to a seventeen-year-old or sixteen, eighteen, who came to you and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about joining the military. What's your advice?" Don't. Simple. The more, the more volunteer bodies they have to throw into the meat grinder, the more they will. Mm. The fewer bodies that they have, the, the fewer bodies they can throw into the meat grinder. It's sure. never going to be for the reasons that they're telling us on the news. It's always for reasons that increase their bottom line and their crony friends bottom lines. Mm. I, was, I was looking at Twitter earlier today and uh, a news organization had come out with a list of uh, the members of Congress who had the best return on their investment in the stock market. Oh, and sure. 
there was four politicians that were all um, getting more than 100% return on their investment. Lucky. <laughs> the top dude, the top dude was generating 220 something percent of his, his return on was his return on, on his investment. Wow. So for every dollar that he invested, he was getting $2 and 20 cents. Right. Right. Back. Wow. Which, I can't which, remember his name. uh, I'm not super familiar with the stock market, but I do know that's that's a very good rate of return. <laughs> yeah. That's not something SPY. you're gonna get day trading um as a hobby. <laughs> no. There there have be there have been some 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 uh Twitter accounts, X accounts that have popped up fairly recently, like uh the Nancy Pelosi stock tracker. And things like that show you how these these various politicians are moving their money around. Right. They get to do insider trading. All we can do is copy them as best we can legally. Right. Oh, yeah, I see what and you're that's saying. Why, that's why I tell people don't sign up for the military. Those A lot of those stocks that they're investing on that they're getting such huge returns on their investments are in defense stocks mm -hmm. like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and Boeing and you know General Atomics there's dozens and dozens of them hmm. and that's what these wars have to do with is their return on their investment the shareholders of those companies returns on their investment Sure. It's not, it's not anything that, um, that they've ever told us that I can think of in the news going back my entire life. And it's, it's quite easy for people to look back 40 or 80 or a hundred years and say, oh yeah, look how, um, people were lied to, or look how um, they were deceived or whatever. But mm -hmm. it's, for some reason, it's a lot harder to look at today and say, Hmm, I wonder if that could be happening today to me, <laughs> you know? Right. It's a, it, and understandably. So nobody, nobody likes to think that they fell for something. So I wouldn't, um, I'd be hesitant to, to seek that out. Like, Hey, you know, was I dumb enough to fall for something just, just today or yesterday? You know, it's a lot easier to point a finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was not, made aware of it. And I, I was very hesitant to, at first I was really hesitant whenever I started learning about these things. Like, no, there's, I just, there's no way that these people that are in charge are really that bad or that dumb or mm. they really are. It, it's like that, but worse. They, sure. they really don't have anyone's best interest in mind with, you know, maybe a, a small handful of exceptions. They're really just out for their, their and their crony friends, best interests. And that's, that's the bottom line. Hmm. It's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, it's understandable that that is such a, uh, um, I, 
uncomfortable is not the right word, but it's such a, um, a shock, you know, that people would be unwilling to, to accept that as truth. You know, some, some things are so shocking to your system that you don't even want to acknowledge it. So I can understand how someone would be like, no, I'm not even going to think about that possibility because of the implications. You know what I mean? Our own government comes out after everybody's memory has of, of whatever's happened has faded and whatever they've told us, the memories of all of that has faded. The politicians, the talking heads, they come back out later on and, you know, on, on, uh, page, uh, page four retractions right. of, of what, what they did, the lies that they told. There's never, never any accountability. I remember, I think his name was, uh, Clapper came out and told, you know, just straight up lies about some of the programs that Edward Snowden had blown the whistle on mm. like prism and where it gives them the ability to, you know, tap into our electronic devices our microphones our cameras. Right. <laughs> and they can, they can see what we're doing. They can record what we're doing through our own devices. Hmm. And he, he lied to Congress. He lied to the American people. And then, Oh, it turns out it was actually right. That is what they do. And that's what they have done and use them for. But there's never any accountability. Mm, now, yeah. somebody like uh, Chelsea Manning or Edward Snowden or Julian Assange, you know, any of them. Well, I guess Chelsea Manning did get pardoned. Edward mm, Snowden, uh, Julian Assange, people like that, that have come through and exposed what's really going on. They're the ones that are, are punished the hardest and the harshest. Mm, yeah. They find scapegoats. I, re I remember uh, one of them, I remember seeing a story about a Navy sailor who was tried and convicted on mishandling classified information for taking pictures on the sub just to show his family. You know, oh yeah. Sure. Was very proud of his service and the achievement to, you know, get to sub service to serve on submarines, submarine service. Um, and they, they punished him as harshly as they could for it. Hmm. And we have politicians, uh, for both teams that are mishandling classified information to, to some extent. And there's, there's no accountability for any of them. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. too many double standards. It's really difficult to, it's, it's difficult to, to separate what, what's lies and what's not whenever they're talking to us. Mm, sure. So, yeah. And because they have a, such a history of lying about why we're we're involved in the wars that we were involved in i couldn't with a clear conscience tell any 16 17 18 year old or or older that it would be a good idea for them to go serve sure yeah yeah they take advantage of socioeconomic situations mine could be classified as that I suppose, but there's a lot of people that grew up in 
you know, much, much greater poverty than I did that that is a huge step up for them. And I couldn't sure. blame anybody for, for taking that and um, utilizing it as well as they could. I had some shipmates that if I would have talked to them a little bit more and listened to what they had to say a little bit more and why they were doing some of the things that they did, you know, financially, I probably would be in better shape than I am now. They had it. They had an idea, but they, sure. they knew what they knew what being really po was all about and they didn't want any anything right. to do with that again right but you know they take advantage of people with uh poor socioeconomic in poor socioeconomic conditions they take advantage of people's patriotism and uh some people's desire to serve something bigger than themselves and hmm. it's really easy to fall for that i did hmm but I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. What's semi-related? Um, what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew before you joined? When to invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, hindsight is indeed. 2020. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. What I wished I knew is that everything that they say is bullshit. All the reasons that we've been involved in any of these conflicts is bullshit. Mm, right. Uh, see it for what it is and take advantage of the opportunities that are there and focus on that mm. instead of, instead of all of the distractions. Sure. Hmm. What I would have done is I would have found the easiest job that required the least brain and physical power. And then I would have focused on building business for myself. Oh, sure. I see. Yeah. For sure. And that's the advice that I would give anybody nowadays. Don't, don't go seeking out the hardest job out there. The hardest job out there is, is running your own business successfully chase after that dream because trading your time for somebody else's dollars as an employee just doesn't have a very good ROI. Sure. Sure. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have heard that a good bit, especially as people um, are looking towards transitioning out, if nothing yeah. else. You know, at those last couple of years, try as much as possible to develop yourself um, more towards the civilian job market or whatever, whatever your goal is afterward. Make that a priority in your last year or two. Otherwise, you're going to be getting out with maybe no depending on your situation or your, your MOS or rate, whatever your experience, um, you could be getting out with almost nothing that's marketable to the civilian world. And then you're, you're in, you put yourself in a position that could have been avoided, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of marketable skills that a person can gain if they know how to leverage them. Sure. Sure. Uh, 
And my advice, if you're going to do it or not, like you're going to be the one to make that decision for yourself. I'm not going to make that decision for you. I, I didn't even make that decision for my own kid. Um, she joined anyway, but wound up not going. Mm. So, which is a, a long story, different story, but sure. um, I'm really glad that in some ways that things worked out the way that they did so that she didn't, didn't go through with it. Sure. Yeah. I um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would tell me if I was talking to me about to go in or anybody now that's, that's in or going in, hmm. understand what it is, you know, recognize it for what it is and take advantage of, of all the opportunities that you have while you're here. Don't get caught, but don't get caught up in the distractions. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. That I appreciate it. I, I yeah. carving out a chunk of time. That's, that's a uh, really great. I appreciate it. <clears throat> uh, did you, I'm sorry. Did you, do you have anything you wanted to plug or, or tell the audience about or anything? Uh, if you have anything positive, good, bad, or indifferent to tell me about this, this recording, uh, I'm on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Mountain Viking One. The word mountain, the word Viking with a V, and the number one. Got it. Awesome. At at Vi at Mountain Viking One. Perfect. No underscores or anything to confuse everybody. <laughs> no underscores. All all crammed together with no spaces. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, cool. if you, mm -hmm. uh, he's going to tag me in this and if, if you have anything good, bad or indifferent to say about it, let us know in the comments, either one of us, you can, you can come and post something on directly online, my feed. I don't care. Um, but yeah, definitely let, let people know, let me know the mistakes that I made too, especially. People love to call you out on mistake. <laughs> the that's one of the beauties of the internet is you can uh, you can throw shade at anybody you want to. <laughs> you know the uh, the old adage used to be if you're lost in the woods, play solitaire. If uh, if if you really want people to notice you now, just fuck up, make a mistake online. Right. Everybody will come out of the woodwork to let you know exactly how bad you did. Yep. Yep, one one misspelling uh, in a tweet will generate a lot of interest for some reason. That that is, I don't know why that is. It's I've never really thought about that, but like, um, just a little flaw in something that you threw out there instantly gives people the idea that well, I'm better than you now. You know, it's just like, well, calm yeah. down. Okay, maybe I messed up. <laughs> you know, it's it's not gonna. Yeah, happen. I don't. I don't think that what aboutism is exactly what's going to bring about the next uh the next era of prosperity for this country or the world right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding you correcting my spelling and about seven bucks will get you a cup of coffee nowadays bro right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
Well, yeah. Th- did I did I miss anything or any any final wrap up or anything? The the I would the the uh, the podium uh, the stage the stage is yours. Anyways, whatever it is. Um, yeah. No. In closing, if I could just ask people, um, when you got people reaching out to you for help you may be like their, their last option. So give them a listen if they don't have a history of squandering those opportunities. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the Self. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. Let's just uh, let's forget about it for right now.